lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Almost back to normal is the voice. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre. We are on the downslope now of the allergies. Good news is the warm air burns that pollen off, right? So the heat uh, here in Iowa in the mid 80s, uh, a welcome uh, summer preview is is helping me to get over the hump here even faster than I was hoping to. Uh, I'm going to still kind of baby this thing a little bit today. Uh, I did a podcast with my old stomping grounds, the Washington Times about Fauci and bargain earlier this morning. And um, as the conversation got into 10 or 15 minutes nonstop, I could feel it kind of fading a little bit and I had to like stop and take a drink. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to baby it a little bit today. Uh, I've kind of cleared off my afternoon schedule. I've got one thing coming up later today with convention of states, but it's not for like four hours after the show. So I've got time to let this thing rest up. And then like I'm putting it on mute for the rest of the night because the next two days we're going to the mattresses with interviews and stuff for the show. So but I, I can tell I sound a lot better. Do I sound better to you guys? You do. Way better. Way better? Not Way better. nearly as annoying? Well, it's annoying for different reasons, you know? That's well, just... other, other than the normal annoyance yes, I, exactly. I bring to the table. Exactly. Yes. But you're good. You're good. You're a gamer. I actually did get a few ladies. Now, they may not be women of taste. Who knows? <laughs> but I did get a few ladies in the audience who told me yesterday that they were totally down with the, uh, the, 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 the is it gravel or gravelly? Gravelly. That's it. Gravelly voice. Yeah. They, they were down with it. Yeah, yeah, that's big in, I learned about that on The Voice, big in country music People stuff. like that? Yeah, All right, great. so you still may hear that sound a little bit today, just to give me that added extra little bit of reinforcement. The good news is our lone guest today uh, is Josh Hammer, our friend, uh, the op-ed editor over at Newsweek, or News, yeah, Newsweek. Um, dude, you just asked Josh like two or three questions in 20 minutes yes. go by. So that'll be cool. Like, I don't have to like, I won't have to talk much with Josh. He'll just go on and on and on and on, which we love that about him. Yes. Yes. And then the, uh, the, so we have Josh Hammer coming up. Why? Uh, This may shock many of you. Um, John Kerry's a traitor. Again, that's just kind of his thing, right? Just cozying up to America's enemies betraying america and her allies i mean I hate the game not the player he's made a career out of this longer Found than you and i've been alive todd yeah. it's What's probably that? it's probably the swift boat guy's fault again yes i'm sure the swift boat guys recorded him uh, uh or recorded an iranian official on tape saying that john Kerry had leaked to them uh it what was it israeli was it deployments military maneuvers yes yeah. something like that yeah so that's is that bad a little bit. It's a it's a little bad. It's it's kind of bad. So Josh will be joining us about that at the bottom of the hour. Next hour, uh, we will continue our look on fake news or not at our new book, Fauci and Bargain, which came out one month ago today and is still the number one book, uh, the number one political commentary book in the country uh, at Amazon.com. We had briefly lost ground to Candace Owens. And I did not complain because I don't, you know, I don't want to lose ground to John Boehner. I don't mind losing ground to Candace Owens, right? So, but we have reclaimed our number one spot there. So we're going to continue our look at Fauci and Bargain for fake news or not. That's coming up next hour. 
And then for Pop Culture Tuesday, spoiler alert, we're going to look at the conclusion of Falcon and the Winter Soldier and the political speech that the new Captain America, and that, that is out of the comics, that uh, Sam does become the first black Captain America. He gives a political speech at the end of this film. But again, I, I don't know, or the, the show, I should say, I don't know that the message of this is what they think it is. Or maybe that is the message they want, right? Uh, we'll get into this. And then there's, a, there's another fascinating ending to this too, where they close the loop on Isaiah Bradley. This is another storyline from the comics where they kind of borrowed from the Tuskegee uh, experiments. And uh, he is the one black super soldier that survived the experiment and they try to figure out why. So he's, he's imprisoned for years as they experiment on him as a guinea pig. And that, of course, turns him into a, a pretty bitter guy. And I don't know that anybody would necessarily blame somebody for that. But the way that they closed the loop on his storyline, again, I, I don't know. And maybe this is why it's now, it's, it's no longer rated fresh at Rotten Tomatoes, by the way. The critics are, are not happy with the conclusion of the show. Now, I didn't think it was a great episode. I actually thought the previous one was better. I kind of felt the same way about the, the, you know, WandaVision, where I thought the penultimate episode was better than the last one. But I, if this is their hard detour into social justice worrying, I don't know, man. We'll, we'll discuss this coming up in the next hour of the show. But before I get to all of that, don't forget you can also email the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E, like us on Facebook, MeWe, Gab, Parlor. Look for Steve Dace there. Follow us at Steve Dace Show on Twitter. Uh, look for censored clips of the program at youtube.com slash Steve Dace, because who doesn't like censorship these days? Or go to rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. Before we get to all of those other things we just mentioned, however... We must begin. As always, here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by your weekly reminder the Republican Party is worthless. Interesting story from the Hill. GOP worries fiscal conservatism is losing its rallying cry. From the article, quote, Republicans say fiscal conservatism simply isn't the GOP rallying cry it used to be, and that's making it much harder to counter President Biden's push for trillions of dollars in new government spending. Instead, culture war issues like immigration, religious freedom, LGBTQ rights, Rights, big tech and Black Lives Matter are taking center stage in conservative politics. The story goes on to quote South Dakota Senator John Thune, among others, who says the fiscal conservative rallying cry is, quote unquote, unfortunately, not as important for the GOP base as it was 10 years ago. In completely unrelated news, North Dakota Governor Doug Bergram last week vetoed a bill that would have barred K-12 schools in the state from knowingly allowing dudes to compete on women's sports teams. The North Dakota legislature overrode the governor's veto. Bergram also vetoed a bill that would prohibit state officials from mandating face masks. The legislature overrode that veto as well. Wyoming Congresswoman Liz Cheney says she's not ruling out a 2024 presidential run. And then there's this. The New York Times is reporting on leaked audio, allegedly of Iran's foreign minister, saying former Secretary of State John Kerry snitched on Israel to Iran regarding the former's covert operations against Iran in Syria. John Kerry denies this conversation took place. 
The Supreme Court will be taking up a Second Amendment case stemming from a New York law barring people from carrying guns outside their homes. Bill de Blasio, your thoughts? I really fear a step in the wrong direction. I mean, we have come so far to try and keep guns out of the hands of New Yorkers. In the category of stuff you can't make up, in Miami, a brawl broke out at the airport. That's not the most interesting thing in this video, though. Do you see that store there in the background? Yes, that sign says Urban Decay. Fox News' Tucker Carlson is ticking off all the right people with his monologue on outdoor masking from last night. The rest of us should be snorting at them first. They're the aggressors. It's our job to brush them back and restore the society we were born in. So the next time you see someone in a mask on the sidewalk or on the bike path, do not hesitate. Ask politely but firmly, would you please take off your mask? Science shows there is no reason for you to be wearing it. Your mask is making me uncomfortable. Learning Spanish today. Today's phrase is, that sounds familiar. Eso suena familiar. Pulitzer Prize winner Lori Garrett tweets, confirmed new cases of COVID-19 have fallen across most of the USA. Very good news, but it's not due to vaccines. Less than a third of Americans are fully vaccinated. The downturn is thanks to masks and social distancing. Common sense rocks. A new study from MIT says the risk of being exposed to COVID-19 indoors can be as great as 60 feet as it is at 6 feet, meaning all these social distancing measures are total bunk. Headline from Politico, kids are finally returning to school, but most of them are white. Daily Defiance will go first to the land of Dr. Governor Blackface Klansman Lockdown, Virginia, where Mike goes to the grocery store without a mask. We'll go back to Illinois, where Chris and his wife refuse to mask their three-year-old daughter at her gymnastics class. As you can see, she's the only person without one good on that whole family. And then there's this video sent to us from Utah by a couple of brothers calling themselves monkey boys. They're at an amusement park where literally no one is wearing a mask, but a manager insists that to be able to enter the park, you have to wear a mask or buy one for a dollar. So these people right here, my dad, my mom, my sister, she's only six. None of them are a threat from this virus, nor do masks work, but they're trying to buy them. A dollar a piece for these masks. I don't know. For man. five seconds, look, they for wear them. For five right seconds, here. we wear them through this gate right here, and then they come off. They come off. And the rest so. of the rest of the day at the park, no masks. But they're quiet when we get in. We gotta stop this madness. It's ridiculous. And finally, in case you didn't get enough of the bastardization of Mr. Sandman, I saw this, so now you have to as well. Mr. Biden, bring my vaccine. Keep me protected from COVID nineteen. Tell me the trick. How I might earn a fix of that magic Pfizer or Moderna. And that's what happened while we were away. Why are so many males anxious to advertise today? They have no penis. You want to know what that guy's name is? Randy Rainbow. Of course it is. Of course it is. Aaron's Montage, brought to you by the increasing decline of Western civilization, as well as our friends over at Home Title Lock. You know, we've been warning you about home title theft. This is where cyber thieves remove you from your home's title so that they can become the new owner 
Well, the reason you want to get home title lock is because every now and then there are these big data breaches that may involve you, like what just happened at Facebook. Big breach there, over 500 million accounts uh, have been exposed to cyber thieves. They've got what they would need now uh, to to get on your home's title, uh, name, address, personal information. It's out there now. So they can forge your signature on a quick claim deed stating you have sold your home to them. Then they leave you with the debt while they take your equity, maybe even an eviction notice or foreclosure notice. That's why you want to check out our friends at HomeTitleLock.com. First of all, go over there. HomeTitleLock.com. Register your address to see if you're already a victim and then sign up for 30 free days of protection during this high-risk breach. That's right, I said free. 30 risk-free days of protection when you use the promo code radio. Promo code radio at HomeTitleLock.com. Coming up in the overtime today, so yesterday it is official, we will have a recall election in California later this year. It required, I think, 1.5 million signatures. California Secretary of State yesterday certified there well over 1.6 million of verified signatures, so the recall election is on. We, or me, put a poll question to our Twitter following In response to this news yesterday, we have the final results, and then we will discuss them today in the overtime. What would you do if mental illness was literally, literally on the ballot? We'll get into that in the overtime today for our Blaze TV subscribers. We will record it right after today's program, uh, and you'll get to watch it later today at blazetv.com slash dace, D-E-A-C-E. If you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber and you would like to become one, that is also where you can go at blazetv.com slash dace. Get a discounted subscription to Blaze TV today. So you can watch that, all of the exclusive content we do each day at Blaze TV, and not have to worry about it being censored by big tech. blazetv.com slash dace. What was that? A jackhammer next door, maybe? Could the audience hear that? It's hard to tell. Okay, then I'll, I'll pretend as Got if they the could not. Got the noise gate about as high up as it'll go. All right, let, I'll, I'll pretend as if then they could not hear that. Let's get to, uh, I love it when they consult us on these things outside. Yeah. Let, let's get to Aaron's montage, shall we? So, John Thune told you the truth about fiscal conservatism in the GOP from a certain point of view. All right. Um, If I'm reading this right, Thune's response is that um, Trump made it that people don't care about fiscal conservatism anymore. So our base doesn't want it and doesn't care about that anymore. But they want us to focus on the culture war issues that we also didn't care about before, too. That that was essentially his explanation for yeah. the death of fiscal conservatism, right? That's some root and branch for you right yeah, there. I, I remember my little brother um, got in trouble for fighting in school once when we were kids. And he literally told the teacher, um, his face fell on my fist. He literally <laughs> said that to the teacher. Okay. I thought it was funny. Uh, parental units, not so much. But I mean, I was, you know, 12. Um, this is reminiscent of the headline that was in the New Republic the other day. Did you guys see this? 
Donald Trump and Tucker Carlson are ruining sports for Republicans. Oh, yeah. I did not. That, that, that's a little bit like murders increasing because innocent victims keep getting in the way of violent felons with weapons. I think we may have the story a tad backwards here. Um, Donald Trump did not cause the base of the Republican Party to give up on fiscal conservatism. Donald Trump is the result of the fact the Republican Party gave up on not just fiscal conservatism, but conservatism in general. I'm fascinated to see in that story Thune and Republicans say, well, you guys want us to do immigration and rainbow jihad. When, well, yes, we do. But when exactly, when and have they been doing those issues? Todd, do you know when that's occurred? I mean, I've been at this thing, you know, I'm, I'm going into my 15th year of full-time work in, this business, in, in the politics business. Do you know when the National Republican Party was actually doing anything on those issues at all? I mean, other than the couple of years that Donald Trump was president. Can you think of anything at all that they did on any of those social issues that, that showed they were focused and fixated on them in the last 15 years? I put it this way to Aaron before you got in today, because we were talking about this a little bit. We are just surrounded by people, and we have been for quite some time, who simply won't say Voldemort's name out loud. Which is what happens in the very first movie, and it's the problem through about half of that series. They simply will not recognize reality, and that is exactly John Thune's problem. How how much he's he understands that and simply won't play, or or, or otherwise just does not understand it at all. I don't know, but reality escapes him on this just like it does apparently up in uh with several of our uh, republican governors on the matter of gender they they don't understand fundamentally the lay of the land we are existentially battling on a day-by-day basis so last week ron DeSantis tells tucker carlson and tucker says hey you know what would you have to do over with covid in the last year and DeSantis says i'd have followed the data sooner I bought into the paranoia for too long. A little self-awareness there, right? Yeah. Where, how much self-awareness is in that John Thune assessment, do you That's think? Zip. Yeah. Negative integers? Yeah. None. Over under on the amount of self-awareness in that John Thune assessment, minus 72. I'm going under or over. Uh, that's the amount of self-awareness shown by good jo- Big John there. So here's the dilemma, though. Is he really that dim of a bulb no, no. or is he just, just gaslighting you a, well then he's just a bloody coward yeah see there's he's no good options you. he's either dumb as dirt or he's a coward when have the republicans actually made any ground <laughs> on fiscal conservatism like real fiscal conservatism okay the sequester so, that was the that was the one win after the tea party got so se- was sequester. the sequester okay and that's the only thing that i can think of since the balanced budgets in the Gingrich uh, Gingrich Dole Congresses with President Clinton. So that's going back so 20 years. one win in a quarter of a century? Almost a quarter of a century, yeah. One win in a quarter of a century. So yeah. it, it's one thing if they were actually fighting, you know, actually fighting with accomplishments, fiscal conservatism. The reality is 
they never wanted that or social conservatism because they don't agree with you. That's what he's really saying there. He's using you rubes out in the sticks, which he's from South Dakota, but he's using you rubes out in the sticks with your social issues. You don't care about fiscal issues anymore. That's why we're not actually going to fight on something we weren't going to fight on because you guys want us to fight on something that we never have fought on. Exactly. Yes. That's what he's saying. Yes. And... He's basically saying, and this horse you rode in on. I I don't count getting rid of earmarks as a big conservative win because they just found other ways to do those things through reconciliation and everything else. I mean, we just went through how much pork was in the uh, the 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 budget omnibus bill right before Chris, right after Christmas, remember, Mm -hmm. uh, before the Georgia runoff. So I, I don't count earmarks as any kind of big conservative win. The sequester was the one fiscal conservatism win I can think of. In terms of, you can count you can count any tax cut as a fiscal conservative win, but I think we were asking this question in relationship to rolling back the size of government, right? Yes. All right, so to me, sequester is the only one that came after the Tea Party, and that's the only thing since um, we had balanced budgets uh, after the contract with America election in the second term of Bill Clinton. So that's essentially your only win in the 21st century so far that I can think of. That's it. And you cannot blame a people when they, when they see the other side pays off their constituencies with impunity, with, with just free fiat printed money. And then, and then puts into place policies that punish them for not voting for them. Right? So you're, so the, the GOP base sees Democrats go out of their way to give free money, allegedly, to their base with policies that then also punish them. And then when Republicans get control, they, they don't see the policies that would favor them. After a while, wouldn't you just be like, dude, where's my cut of the action? Can, can, can you blame people after 20 years of not being given limited government by the Republican Party that after a while, people are just simply like, I blame them for waiting 20 years. Yes. And after a while, you're just like, you know what? I just want my strong man to go in there now and, and, and bend government to my will now. Give, it, give me what I want out of it now. That's just human nature. Mm-hmm. That, that is human nature. And the idea now that they're going to plant their flag on these socially conservative issues, as Aaron pointed out, that they've never planted their flag on before is just beyond ridiculous. They, they, they're gaslighting you. They don't want to admit why the Trump era happened. I warned you all along that 10 seconds after Trump left the White House, whether that was in four or eight years, these people are going to go right back to the world as it was in 2015. Like, like this never happened. And that's what, they're, that's what they're trying to do. Now, thankfully, in a lot of cases, it's blowing up in their face. What, what Liz Cheney's telling you about, she's mulling over a presidential run, uh, my former colleague on the Cruz presidential campaign I used to work with, Jason Miller, said this today. And I agree with this analysis wholeheartedly. That's her telling you she's going to lose her congressional seat. That's what that is. That they've looked at the environment, the polling, they know. She knows she's toast. And so you might as well come up with a new race to run for because this is now, and this is now my analysis, this is your launching pad this is like the, the, the soft opening 
where a restaurant is really open, but only the people that are that it wants to know that they're open know that they're open. So Liz Cheney's presidential campaign is really the beginning of her MSNBC or CNN career. It's not officially yet, but that's the soft opening for it. Use that as a platform. Um, all of her appearances will be on that channel pretty much or one of those two channels. It gives them the chance to say former Republican presidential candidate because, you know, um, it will, it will give their lemmings some other form of, um, uh, you know, political porn to, uh, to uh, pleasure themselves to of credibility. But that's, 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 this is just all tail wagging the dog. This is just all, um, there's, there's no substance to this. This is just all, running for office to generate cable news content. That's it. There's no other higher purpose to it than that. So in in that respect, it's actually a genius move. So hate the game, not the player. On North Dakota, we've seen now several state legislatures overruling their Republican governors. That's excellent and a great start. We need to see several more. But... You can, you can feel, and I, I said this on the Washington Times podcast I was on this morning, you can feel the momentum turning. I, I mean, I think this is why there's going to be a recall of uh, election of Gavin Newsom in California. I think, the, I think I, there's other issues going on there, but I, to me, the populist upheaval issue, there were other issues with Gray Davis too, but it was the brownouts, remember that summer? Yes. That was kind of the populist issue that took that thing from just, uh, you know, something that broke down along partisan lines to now a whole new group of people are like, you know, you're telling me to turn my AC off and it's 110 degrees outside. This is ridiculous. I, I think the shutdowns are that populist issue out there. That's where you go from any, in a lot of these states, if you had a recall election, you could get a certain amount of Republican or Democrat signatures to vote for a recall the minute their guy didn't win, right? Yeah. But where do you get it to the threshold of success? You need a galvanizing populist issue, something that the average person can glom onto. Um, the average person, it, it's personal to them. And frankly, for a lot of the average, for a lot of average Americans, issues like that we care a lot about aren't really personal to them. Tell me that I've got to boil to death in the heat of a Death Valley summer. That's personal to me. Right. Sure. Yeah. Telling me I can't go anywhere while you dine out with your Hollywood friends at expensive restaurants without masks. And we see you on camera shamelessly not caring. I can connect with that. Right. Absolutely. I've got an emotional reaction to that. And so I to me, I think the the lockdown of what's gone on in California. Is the is a galvanizer for this. Republican legislatures overruling Republican governors. I'm heading up to North Dakota this weekend uh, to speak in an event. Looking forward to it. But this is part of, you're, you're seeing the worm is turning here. Anthony Fauci now effectively saying what Scott Atlas was saying about masks when he was in the White House last year and got criticized for. Why is anybody wearing a mask outside anywhere? Right? Um, now Fauci is saying it, which is a tell. Last week, the media, like six media outlets, all ran the same story. I'm sure it was a coincidence. 
What's the point of outdoor masking? And now you've got Fauci teasing that the guidelines on outdoor masking are going to change soon. This is an attempt for them to hold on to this narrative. They're losing it. As of this week, 65% of American school children are getting in-person instruction in schools. When you and I turned this manuscript for the book in around the 1st of March, the number was 42%. I remember because we have it in the book. That's an amazing increase in less than two months. They're, they're losing the narrative here, and they know that. And so now they're, and, 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 and in some places they're going the opposite direction. Let's get dumber and more totalitarian. That's what Michigan's doing with the masking of toddlers. And it's stupid politicians that do that. Because they end up sowing the seeds of their own defeat. It almost doesn't matter who the other side nominates. They're just not you. And you have to go. People who are better at this and smarter at this, like Fauci, for example, recognize that putting your boot further to the throat when you've lost this much of the narrative blows the whole narrative up in your face. So come across as benevolent. And then you take credit later on. You act like, well, we didn't do this because people just stopped wearing their masks outside. You stop wearing your mask outside because we told you to. And I'm still in control yeah. of the narrative. And I'm just gaslighting you the entire time. Whether I'm malevolent or benevolent, I'm gaslighting you the entire time. Right? Yes, it's been fun. Yes. And <laughs> and, it, and, and, it, and it will continue. Yes, it will. Until we make it stop. Which we're getting better at. But we're not quite there. Hey, did you know the average American has almost 100 points they can add to their credit score and maybe doesn't have any idea how to get them? And that's where ScoreMaster comes in. It's the new credit science that helps you to super boost your credit score. And forget about raising it just a few points. With ScoreMaster, their average user can raise their score about 60 points in about three weeks or less. And the reason why is they take that information that lenders have on you when you go to apply for a credit card or a loan And they give you that information. It's not just an average credit report because a lot of it looks like mumbo jumbo you can't understand. Instead, it's a path. It's a pathway for you to understand why do you have the score you have very specifically and then how you can get to the score that you want to get to. And that can make a big difference, not just getting approval for a business or a loan or mortgage or auto loan uh, or credit card that you're looking for, but the terms and interest rate uh, as well. So, Uh, Why not get back in control of your finances? Take back control of your profile from the banks. Enroll in minutes. See how many plus points ScoreMaster can add to your score. If you visit scoremaster.com slash Steve. Again, that's scoremaster.com slash Steve. And let's welcome in our good friend, Josh Hammer. He is the op-ed page editor over at Newsweek. But today we bring him in to discuss uh, something he actually wrote today in the New York Post. Good to see you, Josh. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well, Steve. I, yeah, I, I, so often seems to be the case. I wish we were joining under better circumstances, but it's always good to see you nonetheless. Well, typically what we do around here, hey, this sucks. Call Josh. Have him come on and talk about it. That, <laughs> that's kind of what we do. Uh, we, we don't bring you out of the bullpen. We bring you out of the suck pen that, that, and have you come in and throw some high heat for us. Um, so I want to make sure I, 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 I'm... I'm comprehending what you're writing about because I, 
it, it seems as if you're you're alleging John Kerry may have acted totally out of character here and provided aid and comfort for an American enemy instead of America and her allies. And just given how, again, how out of character such behavior would be for John Kerry over, say, the last 50 years, I just, I wanted to verify that's indeed what you're talking about here today. Hard to believe, right? I mean, what could be more out of character than John Kerry effectively throwing his own country under the bus? You know, Steve, let me put it to you this way. Um, you know, I, 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 we, we usually talk about the law when I come on. I'm a lawyer by, by training. When I was in law school, I was a chairman of a conservative debating society. And I remember when I was chairman, I really wanted to host – I never did it. But I really wanted to host a, a debate where the resolution for the debate was resolved, John Kerry is a traitor. Uh, this was six. This was this was six years ago, seven years ago maybe. It it took me uh, six or seven years, but I guess I finally wrote the column. Um, look, I, if I'm just being fully candid to you, Steve, we, we we have a generally sympathetic audience, obviously that agrees with what we say here. It is not remotely obvious to me. Looking, not even close to obvious. Looking at the full extent, the full arc of John Kerry's career, indeed, of course, going back to the swift votes of Vietnam. Um, you know, I mean, I was in high school in 2004 presidential election. Even I was kind of old enough and aware enough of what was going on to remember all the swift boats for for truth and all that stuff. It is not remotely obvious looking at the full arc of John Kerry's career that he has America's best interests at heart. Um, and I'm not necessarily going to say that he has malice in his heart. I think that he is just and, and Barack Obama is in his kind of inner circle, Valerie Jarrett, Ben Rhodes, this whole kind of clown show brigade. They all come from the same kind of pseudo intellectual academic background. They kind of grew up in like I guess what was kind of like the the predecessor, if you will, of all the current woke stuff, kind of the predecessor in the academy before all the critical race theory, identity politics. They were inculcated from a very young age that America is a force for bad, that America is a force for evil on the world stage, and that if you kind of mature, if you become a diplomat, a statesman, if you're high up in the administrative state, if you're an elected official, senator, governor, it is your moral responsibility to mitigate that pernicious, insidious American influence that entails kind of diminishing and harming our allies and bolstering our foes. No one personifies that better than John Kerry. That's kind of, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about what specifically these latest revelations entail, but it is certainly in fitting with John Kerry, the man that he has always been and always will be. So let's get to it then. What are the specific allegations here? After all, I thought he was our, I thought he was our climate czar now, right? Isn't he? He, yeah, he's technically our quote-unquote climate czar, whatever that means. So if I understand what happened correctly, these are new revelations that do kind of date back to his time as Secretary of State. So mm -hmm. I, I don't believe that he's kind of uh, – that uh, Javad Zarif is uh, is saying that he's saying this in his current capacity, he goes back to his former capacity. So what happened here is um, the New York Times and I guess some other media outlets obtained audio uh, that the Iranian government, for whatever it's worth, is not denying the veracity of. Um, Javad Zarif, you know, who is uh, Javad Zarif, uh, however you pronounce his name, he is Iran's kind of uh, foreign minister. He is their leading foreign diplomat. He's kind of their functional equivalent to the extent that a theocratic, zealous, Islamist, totalitarian theocracy he can have a functional equivalent. But he does have of, a wonderful uh, singing voice. Anyway, go ahead. Yes. 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 Uh, of their secretary of state. He was their lead <laughs> negotiator in the second Obama term, of course. And um, 
What's basically uh, what he is saying here is that at, at kind of the peak of when the, uh, the when the Obama administration in its second term was negotiating the JCPOA, the what became the Iran nuclear deal, that John Kerry went out of his way to inform the Iranians of 200 or more. Uh, what were supposed to be covert, what were supposed to be clandestine Israeli military operations taking out Iranian targets in Bashar al-Assad's Syria. Um, this is obviously disastrous. Um, the If this is true, and to be clear, I think it is true because it fits with who John Kerry is, this has severe kind of prospective kind of forward-looking implications for what America's allies are going to do. What ally in the right mind looks at a situation like this and thinks that it is perfectly okay, that it is perfectly kosher to share sensitive military intelligence? I, I'm sure the Israelis will not be doing that after this. I'm sure most of our other close allies, even in the region, the mm -hmm. Emiratis, Saudis, whoever, why would they do that? And and for what end? To achieve a nuclear deal that involved the U.S. taxpayer becoming the de facto number one subsidizer of the world's number one state sponsor of jihad? For the U.S. taxpayer to de facto subsidize murdering uh, Israelis, Americans, Europeans with the, with the Iranians' global terrorist infrastructure? And all this kind of fits, of course, with what we already knew. You know, there was like there was a, that famous Politico article a few years ago talking about how the Obama administration kind of quashed this mass investigation with respect to Hezbollah's activities in South and Central America. They kind of shoved it all under the rug because their goal, their entire goal was just to get a nuclear accord with Tehran, with Iran at all costs whatsoever. So all of this fits. It all makes sense. Kerry's denying it. I do not for a second believe him, and I do not think anyone should believe him. I think there's a deeper issue here too, Josh, which, you know, I had to learn. Um, I, I really believed at first that we could bring some level of, of democracy to the Middle East. But I also hadn't studied a lot about the Islamic worldview, uh, the fatalistic notions that are inherent to a Quranic worldview. And it's, you know, within um, within the Christian tradition, there's always been a, a, a hearty debate about the extent of free will and, and where does that collide with the sovereignty of God. The, the Islamic worldview doesn't have any of that internal dialogue. I mean, it's very fatalistic, I um, mean, it's why if you watch a weather forecast in much of the Islamic world, they'll tell you 83 degrees tomorrow, inshallah, if Allah wills it. All right. And, that, that and so it's really hard to give self-governance to people that aren't really negotiating within their own philosophical framework, what extent they are, uh, they have free will to act as individual beings made in the image of God, right? And so I had to amend seeing the results of this in real time. I had to amend and evolve my own foreign policy dogmas and realize, you know, this isn't this. We're not we're not having a, a conflict with people that begin with a lot of the same worldview premises we do. And, and you have to accept the world for what it is and not what you want it to be. You can't project your ideological bias on the world. And so I look at this now a lot more transactional. Now, is this in the best interest of the U.S. and our allies? Uh, yes. Then the next question, is it moral? Yes. Okay. Then we do it. Uh, if it doesn't meet those two thresholds, then, then we don't, uh, that, that's kind of how I'm looking at this on a case by case basis. I think with these people, they, they refuse even in light of, and, and again, if you wanted to give them, if you didn't want to immediately jump, as you said to this is malicious, there was no control group that the other viewpoint of foreign policy with how to deal with the Palestinian question, for example, 
how to deal with Iran. There was no one had done this, really, because we've been under this sort of Bush, Democrat, Baker, Obama, Clinton version of of foreign policy with those two questions really wasn't much differences in those administrations. The Trump administration comes along and says, we're not going to deal with the Palestinian question anymore. We're kind of tired. We tried it. We're tired of it. Don't think we can trust them. We're just going to go right directly to the Arab world. And we're going to say, hey, what do you want more? Peace and prosperity or to fight proxy wars for the PLO? What, What do you want more? If you want the latter, then let's normalize relations and let's do business together and maybe even bring Israel in. Or you can essentially fight proxy wars with the PLO and Iran for the next 30 years and end up back in the 8th century where you still are. And lo and behold, we're finding out that when you put it to them like that, there's actually quite a bit of the Arab world that's kind of like, I don't know, 21st century looking a lot better than the 8th century. And this is, this is where I think we don't have the benefit of the doubt for these people that you mentioned any longer. Because we have peace deals now. We've seen the Arab world say, we don't really like Iran either, actually. So we're totally fine isolating them. Thank, thank you. We're not really interested in an alliance with them. We don't trust them anymore. Frankly, we trust the Israelis more. And so now that we see this, there is no, to me, Josh, there's, there's no excuse for furthering this sort of dance with the devil in the pale moonlight with Iran, this sort of Icarus flying too close to the sun with Iran, that there's some nut you can crack to make the Ayatollahs there uh, some form of mainstream when most of the rest of the Arab world is like, yeah, we don't trust those nut jobs either. Let's do business together. What, what would be the benign explanation then for why these progressives would continue to pursue when we now have a, this is like COVID almost, all right? Where we have a Sweden now. So we know this stuff doesn't work. All right. So we know that there was another foreign policy path to follow here. So why continue with this flirtation? Look, Steve, lots to unpack there, obviously. Um, you know, I'm not a Quranic scholar, to put it mildly. Um, I have read uh, not the entire Quran, I've read excerpts of it. Um, one thing that I, 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 Dennis Prager loves making this point. He loves making the point that, um, Islam, the word translated means submission. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's, it's all about kind of submission to yes. Allah. And, you know, I can't speak uh, with much authority about Christianity, but speaking about my own tradition, Judaism, Judaism is uh, is, is quite different, actually. Uh, there's a strong tradition of uh, disputation, of questioning, of kind of uh, intellectual argumentation. I mean, the entire Talmud um, is kind of predicated on the intellectual tussling about legal and ethical questions. Of things of that nature. Father, so, the 12 tribes of Israel's different. name is translated one who wrestles with God. That might lend to some of what you're talking about, right? There you go. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So uh, we are dealing with very different intellectual traditions here. As far as kind of the nuts and bolts, um, you know, look, I obviously agree with everything you said. I had I, I, I had a long essay at Tablet Magazine, which is actually really, they're putting up fantastic content these days. I had a long essay there last month. It was it was about, I think it was entitled The Peace Process That Never Was or something like that. I kind of just go back because it does seem that the Biden administration is kind of throwing what the previous administration, what the Trump administration joined by Prime Minister Netanyahu, they're throwing all that under the bus. And you're totally right to underscore kind of the magnitude of what the prior administration achieved. It was a remarkable 
remarkable, remarkable paradigm shift, basically saying that they they literally took decades and decades of failure of this so-called inside-out approach to peace, uh, whereby, you know, kind of broader reconciliation with the Arab world cannot happen without an independent Palestinian state. They flipped that on its head. They said, we're going to ignore the Palestinians. We're going to bolster the Israelis. We're going to get this kind of purely tactical transactional alliance vis-a-vis the Iranians. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's the most smashing, successful bit mm-hmm. of foreign policy diplomacy in the region in a half century, mm-hmm. at least, maybe, maybe more than that. So, uh, I, I, look, I uh, maybe it is malice. I mean, I just think these people are, are they're zealous ideologues, honestly. They are. That's the most benign explanation. They just don't want to admit the fallacy of their own ideology. That's the that's the innocent explanation. Stop and think about that. That is the I, uh, the most innocent benign explanation we could think of here is that these people are just frankly stupid stupid, that, that, that they're unwilling to reconsider uh, their orthodoxies that have been proven wrong over the course of the years, over the course of the decades, uh, and they're unwilling to kind of grapple with the facts that have been squarely presented in front of them. That is, that is the benign explanation. They legitimately might be uh, malicious to an extent. You know, I I, 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 t- I I try to be a little reluctant, like a little loath to kind of sure. impute malice w- when I can't do it. Um, but yeah, it's very difficult to look, especially at some of like the extremist kind of two-state solution cartel, the people that, the, the people that can look at the Abraham Accords, you know, Israel's normalization with the UAE, Bahrain, all this with respect to Iran. The people who look at that and still say that it is like it, that is a pressing American national security need to tell Israel to kind of uh, beclown itself and withdraw its like security. I, no, I, I, it is very difficult to look at that sometimes and think these people are benign. It really does seem to have some sort of kind of malicious intent there, at least on the margin. So it's probably a little bit of column A. It's a little bit of column B. Um, none of this were down to the national interest. Um, you know, I, like you, Steve, my foreign policy of the years has become kind of much more kind of uh, hard headed and realist. I, I, I think uh, moralisms in foreign policy are generally not good. I think it's silly to pretend that morality will never have a role to play in foreign policy. Of course, that's not the case. It definitely has to play some role. But we really, really, really do need to be kind of squarely focused on what is best for the United States national interest here. Um, that is obviously the complete antithesis of what John Kerry, Joe Biden, and this is just entire clown show of an administration seem to believe with, with respect to the Middle East. And I really fear that as this kind of piles up over the next few years, we're going to see some devastating devastating consequences. But already in literally barely over three months of being in office, they have done their finest to throw all of that, like I said, the Abraham Accords, all of that, they're throwing it under the bus. And it is really, really, really profoundly sad to see because it is such an important development and the U.S. administration currently is just not supporting it. Josh, good stuff as always, my friend. Good to see you. Thanks for joining us today, right? Anytime. Take care. You bet. You guys got about a minute. Any thoughts on the conversation that uh, Josh and I just had? Well, on that matter of it being uh, the, the them being dumb is the best possible solution. Listen, this is these bureaucrats. They aren't ultimately about solving problems. They're about keeping the fire burning. Because, A, that gives them purpose in life and a job, unfortunately. And, B, they're looking for the time where they can turn the fire into an inferno. Because they're into terraforming this once great nation. Yeah, because the solutions in the Middle East is is simple. That doesn't mean easy, but it's simple. I mean, it's you speak their language. Uh, you want peace and prosperity. Where you're Huckleberry, you don't. You get a Moab. That's basically that's the the deal that's on the table. Um, seems like people respond to that, but no. In the progressive worldview, there must be chaos. There must be a cloud pivoting of every single facet of your life and people halfway around the world, their lives too. 
We'll come back. Fake news or not, we continue our look at our new book, Fauci and Bargain, the most powerful and dangerous bureaucrat in American history. We'll do that next. Back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. You can email the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. And remind me at the bottom of the hour when we do Pop Culture Tuesday. Fascinating email I just got from a listener that I think actually would be a good launching off point for us to have this conversation. Okay. All right. So remind me of that here. Got it. Uh, in about 30 minutes. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the show. Like us on Facebook, MeWe, Gab, Parlor. Look for Steve Dace in all of those places. You can follow me on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Want to give a special shout out to our friends over at the Epoch Times who uh, released uh, their feature on our new book, Fauci and Bargain, we're going to be talking about today. They got an audience over there at the Epoch Times. Uh, our book uh, has made another huge jump. I mean, it's been ranked high over at Amazon this entire time, but now it's back into the top 30 books in the country overall. Uh, it's back to number one in political commentary overall. So tip of the cap uh, to the people over at the Epoch Times. Thank you for the review uh, and uh, profile of Fauci and Bargain. We appreciate that. Uh, you can also uh, look for clips of the program at youtube.com. Uh, slash Steve Dace or rumble.com slash Steve Dace show. And if you're a podcast listener, we thank you. Uh, please show your uh, thankfulness to us in return. Hit that subscribe button. Leave us a five-star review if you've not yet done those things because I'm told they help the show to grow in some way, shape, or form. I, I don't know if that is the fact, but if nothing else, we appreciate and acknowledge the, the acknowledgement that you like us. You really really like us. So thank you to the thousands of you that have left those five-star reviews already. Uh, we'll get to fake news or not here in a moment. First, I want to tell you about one of our favorites, Built Bar. Time is running short. They're already almost out again of uh, the special edition coconut brownie chunk. In fact, I think today might even be the last day, but that's not the only great flavor they have. They're all great flavors. I just had a caramel apple one from one of their special uh, fall flavors that I've held on to some of those. I've still got several of the pumpkin and caramel apples here uh, that I've kind of stored do. away. Yes, you do. I've got some of the, the Christmas candy cane brownie uh, stored away too, you know, that I bust one of those out every now and then when I feel a little festive, all right, for the most wonderful time of the year. So uh, every flavor is amazing. All of them covered in real chocolate. And it doesn't really matter. Like here's what, here's the flavor profile for one of the most popular regular flavors is cookies and cream. Everybody loves this when they get the variety box, all right? 130 calories a bar, 17 grams of protein, four grams of sugar, four net carbs. I mean, you're not gonna do better than that. You've, you've never had a protein bar that tastes this good or something close to a candy bar that was this good for you. Don't worry about the choice anymore between taste and health. You get both when you go to Built Bar, all right? 15% if you've never tried it before, today's the day for you. 15% off your first order when you use the promo code DACE, D-E-A-C-E. 
The promo code DACE at BuiltBar.com. 15% off your first order to give it a shot today. BuiltBar.com. Promo code DACE. I promise you're going to thank me later on. So this is a great day to be doing this because there's all kinds of COVID news breaking today. Um, well, Aaron had it in the montage. Uh, MIT published a study over the weekend. Social distancing's a joke, but we you already knew that. Um, the six-foot rule actually came from two places. One, like a high school student paper, like four or 10 years ago. But they also like went into a lab and tried to project out how far you might like sneeze or cough. I don't know. Uh, apparently, they um, they thought we were all metahumans and we sneeze and cough six feet. It's just all bunk. Now, what's also funny when you read this MIT study is it seems to implicate masks at the same time. And that at the end of the study, they want to make sure, though, they think the masks are great. Keep wearing the masks. We, we see this all the time. The, the fear. The fear. of it's, it's, it's like everybody's like, I don't want to be Guillermo Gonzalez. Do you remember him? Yes, I do. He's the former professor at Iowa State University. He's at another university now. I think it's Ball State. Um, but he's the former Iowa State uh, University uh, professor. Is it astrophysics, I believe? Is that what it was? I think so. Yeah. And he did this uh, video that went pretty popular with the people over at the Discovery Institute called The Privileged Planet. And he just said, hey, I'm just running the numbers as an astrophysicist, guys. Just doing the data. I'm just telling you, the odds of this thing we call existence and human life just randomly happening. When you do the math, and I think one of the illustrations they use in the film is you take a follicle of your hair, put it on a T on the moon, and... Uh, you hit it as a golf shot and have it land on earth where you want it to land or something along those lines. It's been many years since I've seen the the film. Um, he got denied tenure. That became a, a cultural civil war here in the state of Iowa for several years because they had a radical uh, atheist religious studies professor who just passed away recently. Um. And he he waged a one-man war against any such notions of intelligent design. This was where ID, intelligent design, really began with this video as a mainstream incursion into science. And it's like all these people don't want to get Guillermo Gonzalez on masks because they, they, they see the mob. I mean, look at what Tucker Carlson did last night. He literally went Steve Day show, it's time to shame the shamers, Right. It's time to go up to the people wearing masks outside and ask them, hey, can you take that off? You're bothering me. I mean, it's just so you, you look so stupid. It, it's bothering me. And of course, the mask cult. In order to protest, Tucker daring to step on their shibboleth of the dam behaved in return like a mask cult would behave just to just lost their minds. How, how dare you tell us this idol has no power, right? And so that's what's funny about that MIT study is it concludes with, and masks are great. Even though one of the parts it says about the masks is the way you wear them indoors kind of invalidates the whole theory of six feet apart because the way you breathe, it comes out the sides anyway. 
And but at the end of the study, it says masks are great. Everyone should mask up. <laughs> so it just. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> but there's a the you have the you have the MIT study, CDC just about an hour ago. Have you guys seen this yet? Yes. Has changed the masking guidelines. Basically, some dipstick over there figured out. You know, I think the reason that we we got more vaccines than people that want to take it is because um, we keep telling them that there's no use to taking it, that they have to be lepers anyway. And so, I don't know, maybe, 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 maybe we should let people that are vaccinated, like, behave as if they've been vaccinated. I should have had a V8, man. Somebody over at CDC has finally figured this out. Okay? So, uh, uh, to summarize, basically, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask, indoors or outdoors, according to CDC. With the, 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 it's not universal indoors, like I'm sure they would still say, if you're going to go to an NBA basketball game with 15,000 people wear a mask. But other than something extraordinary like that, if you're vaccinated, there's really no point to wearing a mask is what the new CDC guidelines say. Or if you find a perfect virtue signaling opportunity, then of course, enforce then of course, it yes. with an iron fist. If you're not vaccinated, there's no point to you wearing a mask outdoors. That is, is, that, is that fair? Is that a fair summation if you guys look these over? I've not read it in detail, but from what I read here during the break, I thought that was essentially what they said. Basically, is that, it. Is that basically Well, that's what you said earlier. Fairest. We're letting you do this now. Yeah. This is your reward. The, the fairest summation is, okay, sheep, this is how you say bah now. Yeah. Precisely. But then, again, I'm just reading another thing that says, um, fully vaccinated people can safely engage in outdoor activities like walking and hiking <laughs> without wearing masks, but should continue to use face coverings in public spaces where they are required. The CDC said this is Reuters read. Now, I mean, I don't know when I when I read uh, the CDC guidelines required. themselves, that's not the read I got. <laughs> that's what I just said. What okay. is the every virtue single sign? What is every yes. single sign said? CDC recommend but CDC recommendations say you should wear a mask. Say you should. So where they are required. OK, I, 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 I don't know. Here, here's. Here's what we know. This won't end. Now it is ending. Okay. It is ending. That that is that is that that is that is undeniable that it is ending. Now, where we're at on the ending curve, right? Are we at the beginning of the ending? Are we in the middle? We're certainly not at the end of the ending. We're not there. But we're on some ending curve. We may just be starting the ending curve. Here's what I know. If Daniel Horowitz was here, we're just starting the ending curve. That's if I could get him to acknowledge that there was an ending curve. Okay. But we're, we're, it's, it's ending. You may have a more robust view of this. All right. But it, we're not getting to the end of that curve until we make it end. To do that, we got to have more than emotion and frustration. We need data and information. And that's what this puppy brings you. Fauci and bargain. 
the most powerful and dangerous bureaucrat in American history. Let's continue on fake news or not. Our study of this book and the next chapter we're on, Todd is what? We're doing chapter one. We had to delay it uh, last week, and it's uh, about uh, right out of the gate, talking about Fauci's contradictions. Fake news or not, Steve. In January of 2020, Fauci said the virus was, quote, low risk to the United States and that asymptomatic transition was, quote, has never been the driver of outbreaks, end quote, in the history of respiratory viruses. Thus, this was likely to be a bad flu. Fake news or not? No, that's all true. That's all real news. Those are all things that he said. And it's all documented in our book. And he said it in January of 2020. Mm -hmm. So how, again, are we sitting here caring one bit about what the CDC says in almost May of 2021 Mm -hmm. when they've been just as wrong as he has been this entire time? I think we didn't have this conversation in the book. And... I think we should have it here, particularly because this chapter of the book is dedicated specifically to Anthony Fauci. I mean, the the whole book is about his policies, but and, and the role he has had in these policies. But this is the one chapter in the book that is directly pointed at him as an individual. One of the themes we raise in this book repeatedly, and it comes up repeatedly in this chapter is what changed what changed from these early modest warnings about the virus that have that, that now a year later that we have the data all have proven to be true and then what led to him walking into congress on march 11th and ending our way of life as we've known it for over a year what changed cuz it was just march 8th 3 days before that that he was on 60 minutes dissing the mask what changed on march 11th now we don't attempt to ascribe or a motivation or psychoanalyze that in this book. We thought that would be our reach exceeding its grasp. And we also thought the broader we approach this, the easier it would make it for the people that you would take this information to, to reject you. That we needed to really narrow this down to the data we know with the least amount of theorizing as possible. Because the point of this book really ultimately is, is to help you and I get our way of life back, right? Yes. And so the most targeted missile that we could launch would make that the most successful mission. But we also know that there are broader questions that need to be answered. That's why we call repeatedly for a 9-11 style of tribunal. Here's what I don't think it is. I don't believe Anthony Fauci is dumb whatsoever. I mean, this guy pretty much nailed this virus Weeks and months before it was on the average American's radar. He did it in interviews. He did it in print pieces in the New England Journal of Medicine. He stuck the landing. I mean, he nailed what this virus was ultimately going to be. He's not, I don't believe it's stupidity. I also don't believe the theory that it's just vapidness, ego. This guy was already very celebrated in a lot of these circles. Because of his work with AIDS, he was well-known by and to a lot of celebrities. He was a feature on the banquet. He was a featured speaker on the banquet circuit. I, I don't believe that's it either. 
So I don't believe it's stupidity, and I don't believe it's just narcissism. I believe that there's a, a piece of information or data that he doesn't want us to know. Because I'll just tell you this. I've got a, I, I love me some me, to quote the great prophet Terrell Owens. I have a lot of respect for my intellect and argumentation abilities. That all being said, I have at least a skosh of self-awareness. I shouldn't be able to expose this many fallacies in a guy like Fauci's work here, given his track record. He is deserving of the title, at least one of America's leading infectious disease experts. Do not disrespect your enemy. That's always the first step to losing to them. Disrespecting your enemy is always the first step to losing to them. Don't clown car your enemy. Respect your opposition. This guy's good. Didn't survive for 40 years because he sucks. He's an idiot. So why is a guy, how's a, how's a guy been able to grow his show 300%? You know, a guy like me. I've grown my show 300% in the last year. A guy that got kicked out of university because all I did was play Super Tecmo Bowl and intramural basketball an entire semester and didn't go to a class. How have I been able to look at his epidemiological work and grow my show 300% in the last year and no one has brought any credible charge against me for peddling fake news or false information? Not a single one. So how have I been able, given the, is there a tad more level of qualification on one side of this argument? Yes. Yeah. So how have I, how have I been able for the last year to so successfully deconstruct his dissembling because we're not arguing science we're arguing philosophical assertions and this guy's full of fallacies we point them out all the time this chapter that we're doing today is just a is it's it's a it's a reckoning of his of his fallacies right so did he just get stupid did he just get dumb i don't believe that's it Did he just now decide he, he liked being a celebrity? I, I don't think that's it either. I think it's because there's a piece of information and data that he knows we don't know. And he doesn't want us to know. And that's what leaves all of these holes in the argument all the time. That's why he's so duplicitous. That's why he's, he asserts so many fallacies that you can later, d- 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 with discernment, deconstruct. Because he's hiding something from us. That's what I believe is the answer. And we will, the next chapter next week goes more in depth into these issues. Fake news or not, while the economy took a hit because of COVID, the healthcare sector thrived and created new jobs. Um, That's fake news. Actually, last year we saw eight hospital admissions we're down 8% from what industry forecasts um, were predicting before COVID last year. There are actually mass layoffs in the healthcare sector at this time last year, remember? We were actually, the, we, were in a, we went into recession at this time last year during 30 days to slow the spread. And the number one driver of the recession, cutbacks in the healthcare industry. Because... When we hear non-elective, or when we hear elective surgeries, we're thinking, you know, somebody wants a tummy tuck, right? Okay. 
it could be, it, it's actually a lot of things you medically need. You just don't medically need right now, like a gallbladder taken out or certain kind of screening or something. Virtually anything that is not immediate health is considered elective. We just stopped doing, we weren't doing any of those things at this time last year. And since that's what funds the majority of our healthcare system, it economically was collapsing all over much of the country. Yeah, I, uh, a doctor friend of mine this entire time was always, and he has responsibilities in management and laying this uh, very thing out to me. And recently within uh, his particular um, hospital umbrella, we have uh, at least two major ones here. The number of COVID people being treated here currently in Des Moines is in single digits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So good. Thing we, we've, we've never had everything. a we it, it we've the highest we've ever had in a percentage of americans visiting an er with covid like illness was around eight percent that's the highest it's been this entire pandemic and right now in the country it's about three percent fauci could have say could have been saved from himself if he had only trusted the ihme model fake news or not um yeah uh he he trusted it too much it's it's that is some absolute fake news and then when it was failing all over the country kind of tried to pass it off as the debbie burke's thing well you know i don't know about these models remember that clip we yes about this time last year too okay i think that was on fox news i believe the shannon bremer martha mccallum one of those two i think he said that too um no the 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 ihme model people ought to be in jail Everybody, uh, Debbie Burks ought to be in jail. Everybody who governed by that model should all be in a cell. And, and then the people who did the model should be in a cell too. They've done, they did more damage to your way of life than the Japanese did at Pearl Harbor or Muhammad Atta and his group did at 9-11. And I'm not saying that for a fact. Or for effect, it's a fact, Jack. Those models did more damage to the American way of life than 9-11 and December 7th did. Everybody involved, from the modelers to the government bureaucrats that impose them, all ought to be in jail. Everybody. It's remarkable what that guy or those people knew about at a joker level of manipulation all it takes is just a little yes push. A little push. How yeah. that thing that we had never heard of had so much sway in the or could have. Who could have known? I mean, we couldn't have possibly known. Which was your eureka moment mm-hmm. in all this? I remember the first trip I took when um, our state opened up the first week of May last year. Began to, and then the six most populous counties opened like a week later where we live. And Texas opened up like a week or so later. And I'm like, all right, man, I'm going down to the blaze. They want me to come down to Dallas all the time. Let's do this right away. And I remember being in the hotel. So this would have been the week before Memorial Day. I mean, we've had weeks and weeks of incorrect IHME models. And since it's, since it's Texas, Fox News plays on the, in the lobby televisions, not CNN and MSNBC. But... I'm sitting there waiting for an Uber to pick me up to take me over to the Blaze to do my show. 
It's the end of May and Fox News is still interviewing IHME modelers about about their COVID projections, which had already been proven repeatedly wrong. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, all the, 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 the oath says all enemies, foreign and domestic. The IHME model is a domestic enemy of your way of life, period. One for me real quick. Yeah. The science is fake news or not. The science is settled on the herd immunity threshold needed to return to normalcy. (laughs) Are we we acknowledging herd immunity thresholds now? (laughs) I don't know how to answer that question. When when are we and are we not acknowledging herd immunity? Do you guys know? Well, what are the rules for that? As you say in this uh, chapter, some experts said uh, it was one number, and then Dr. Anthony Fauci said it was a number. Yes, yes. You know, this is my favorite thing as a Mm anti-vaxxer about how the worm has turned uh, this year. The thing that people always used to scream at me when we talked about vaccination before COVID is, what, don't you believe in herd immunity? Those same people now are, oh, we we can't possibly get there. No, stay inside, triple mask. Right. Fauci not only says the number's 80%, right? Is that what he says the number is, I believe? Yeah, the number of vaccinated Americans yes. need to be 75 to 90%. He actually said he kept changing the number because it's what people could take at the time. Yeah. He yeah. told you he was manipulating you. Um, and even that could even be a manipulation. Yeah. No way of knowing. Once a guy admits they lie to you once, how do you know they're not lying about the lie, right? But when he says 80% is the herd immunity threshold, He's not talking about herd immunity. He's talking about a vaccination rate. This is what, what, um, oh, who's the guy over at Johns Hopkins that writes for Wall Street Journal? Macari, I believe is his name, Marty Macari. This is what's that, this is why he's losing his mind on Fauci now. And he's written a couple of pieces very critical of him. He is, Fauci is all, is, is outright dismissing natural immunity as an effective pushback. So that's not part of his calculation. He's, he's saying 80% of Americans need to be vaccinated. That's not herd immunity. That's a vaccination threshold. That's something different. He's, he's dismissing natural immunity from all of his calculations. Like it doesn't exist. Looks like we have time for one more fake news or not. COVID was always less dangerous than people thought because of something called crossover immunity. That is absolutely true. It's not a novel virus. It's a novel Corona virus. That is a very important distinction. Now, it might be a novel virus. It might be. As I said a few minutes ago, Is there a missing piece of information? Is there a missing data point that Dr. Fauci has yet to share with us? Please, please tell me now. Is there something I should know, as Duran Duran once sang? Is it a novel coronavirus? Or is it a novel virus? That's a very important distinction. But since we were told and heaven forbid we would go against that narrative and defy our big tech overlords, since we were told and assured that this virus is a natural phenomenon, 
Well, then we expect it to behave according to the natural laws. That's Scott Atlas's argument, right? Yes. How many times did he say on our show last year, where happened to the laws of virology, biology, immunology? Why are we just throwing those out? Well, if it's a novel coronavirus, meaning a new mutation, but of a phylum or family of viruses that we already are aware of, then you wouldn't throw those things out. You would begin with assumptions. Now, if, if, there's, a, if there's a missing piece of information, Mr. Fauci would now like to share with us. That would indicate it is a novel virus. That it is operating outside of the natural law because it's not entirely a natural phenomenon. That would explain some of his behavior here, wouldn't it? Oh, more than explain, yes. Yeah. Indict. But has he offered that ex- explanation? Nope. And then we don't want to peddle a conspiracy theory, right? Right. We wouldn't want to do that. So then, based on his own narrative, why does he constantly go against it? Then? If, it's a, if this is a natural phenomenon and a mutation of an existing form of virus known as a coronavirus, such as the common cold and other viruses that many people all over the world have had multiple times over, then why are we suspending the laws of virology and immunology? Why are we ignoring natural immunity, crossover immunity that you have from previous coronavirus exposure? Why are we doing things like that? The term gain of function in Wuhan comes to mind. Indeed. But again, we don't, we don't want to peddle any conspiracies on the show. So. got this note from a Larry Clemens says, hey, I gave our pastor a copy of your book a week ago Sunday. And yesterday the church sent a notice to everyone. We would stop all restrictions and return to full capacity. Not exactly sure if it was my gift that led to this, but the coincidence is pretty difficult to ignore. So... Larry, thank you for letting us know. And we have actually gotten numerous emails from people around the country that have been able to use our book to get schools open, businesses open, churches open. That's why this was written. It was written for that purpose. The answer is us. So that's why we compiled all of our research so then you could then take it militarize it basically as intel uh and and go to war with it so thank you for that note larry um and hopefully there are others of you in this audience that it helps along those lines uh as well um let's talk about our friends over realestateagentsitrust.com you know getting into the real estate market in any period of time can be difficult stressful i've talked before one of the more stressful things we've ever done is the buy and sell at the same time, selling the home we were in, then trying to time it just right. And then once we got that home sold, we got to get a new home bought that we actually want to buy in the period of time we have to get out of the home we are currently in. That can be stressful, even in a good environment. What about during these unprecedented times? Bing. Thank you. 
it can be especially difficult. That's why you want to make sure that you go in with an agent that you can trust, someone who will come in, take charge of the situation, yes, because they know what they're doing and they've got a track record of success that's fully verified and validated, but they also remember who the ultimate boss here, and that is you. Now, where would you find such a real estate agent? Because, you know, if you go on to the 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 big uh, real estate agency sites wherever you live they're they're not going to say hey here's a ranking of our best agents don't go to this guy or that chick she's terrible they won't do that right well thankfully we've got a place that will do it for you uh, and the name kind of says it all realestateagentsitrust.com just go there realestateagentsitrust.com just about anywhere you want to escape from or to uh in here from a covid stand standpoint we can probably help you at realestateagentsitrust.com All right, let's get to Pop Culture Tuesday. We look at the intersection between pop culture and conservatism at this time each week here on the show. And let me give you a spoiler alert. All right, I I, want to make sure that everybody understands we're going to be talking about the finale of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. All right, so if you haven't watched it yet and you don't want us to spoil it for you and we don't want to spoil it for you, Going to give you the count of three, and then after that, you're on your own, all right? You can turn this off, come back and listen to it later after you've already watched it, but then if you don't turn it off in time, it's a you problem, not us, right? So three, two, one. You have been warned. All right, so Todd. Yes. Let's discuss it first of all from a big picture standpoint. I again thought I saw the same pattern with WandaVision. I thought the penultimate um, episode was better than the finale. I thought at times the finale felt a little rushed. And again, there was this teasing of some big revelation to come and all this speculation, like who was the familiar working with Agnes, Agatha Harkness all along, right? And it turned out to be, you know, who was the, um, uh, who was the, who was the, uh, the brother, who is it really? Since clearly her brother was dead. All right, so, and they bring the brother in, uh, the guy who played the same character uh, in the Sony universe, right? And so all this speculation at the end, and the, there was no revelation to it. That was done again in this show with who's the power broker, blah, 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 blah. And it, it you, you know, I would have predicted it was Sharon Carter six weeks ago and or four weeks ago, and that's who it turned out to be, right? So it seems like there were some similarities just in terms of, the entertainment value agree or disagree oh i think overall wandavision was much much better which is why we're disappointed in the lack of execution it needed at least an extra episode maybe they didn't really understand fully we talk about this all the time mm-hmm. do these guys know what they have and i i mean kevin Feige's earned the right to uh you know he's got the benefit of the doubt in this case i i, I don't know if they did i this the chemistry between the actors that play the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is, is so great, but all along they weren't executing this show as well. As I agree. Well. I agree. I think the chemistry between Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie is better than we saw at anything from an actor standpoint in WandaVision, and it carries the entire show. Yes. But the quality of the storytelling in and of itself is not quite as good as we saw in WandaVision. Correct. I agree with that. Correct. Okay. Now, much has been made about the politics of this show. And you and I talked last week that, I don't know, we we didn't really sense that this was 
kind of tease the idea of you know of 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 turning the falcon into a, basically a militant because of what he learned about you know the captain america program's history and american history and things of that nature but then at the end it's actually his sister who's very frustrated with the system too that brings him back from losing him to that um we get resolution of that with this with this episode now where he fully takes on the mantle of captain america there's a very powerful scene i'll give him credit this is good storytelling there's a very powerful scene at the end where the Isaiah Bradley character who had been experimented on in a Tuskegee kind of a storyline, uh, and therefore it kind of made him resentful about America. Uh, part of him now taking the mantle of Captain America is Isaiah Bradley gets a statue and a mention in the Captain America exhibit at the Smithsonian, and he takes him and his grandson to see that, hey, progress has been made. Progress can be made. You know, the answer to this is not you know, essentially a, 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 a BLM kind of an argument. We're just narcissism. Which is or, who or the nihilism. flag smashers were. Yeah, I kind of got that too, okay? Yeah, they were. And, um, uh, and so I thought that approach was very fascinating that they took there at the end. What did you think? Yeah, but it's in line with what I think really happened here. They, I, I, It's undeniable that the flag smashers are BLM and uh the uh, the obvious insistence or some of, kind of blm antifa hybrid yeah, yeah 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 exactly uh isaiah in the end having his own obviously understandable bias mm-hmm. put put to rest with in that we know we're never going to bury history we're going to put this front and center what happened uh to you and how bad it was by putting you in this museum but your insistence that that what happened to you means that history must always be that is turned on its head. And again, what we concluded was happening in, in chapter five happened in chapter six, even though the execution was clumsy, that final speech, it was a bad actually, TED talk. Yeah, I, I, I thought it, I think it was meant to be some sort of social justice warrior. I kind of viewed it's, it as a, as a kind of a, a populist pep talk. He went after their elitism. You don't listen to the people you represent. Yes. You think you're better than them. You're superior to them. You don't listen well, to them. You don't live with them. You don't suffer with them. I, I kind of took that as really more of a populist angle than, you know, some sort of uh, super wokeism. I, I agree because this it's saying we're moving on. Mm-hmm. They did this whole thing. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier expressly to say we're going to talk about this. It has to be talked about. It should be talked about. But we, Captain America, black or white, is Captain America. We've said this, mm-hmm. and we're moving on. And in the next Captain America movie, it's going to be him. And it seems to me saying, it, maybe there's going to be a little riff here and there on it. But for the most part, it's just going to be Anthony Mackie being Captain America without all the racial shades. It's saying, we have to move on. I want to move on. We can move on. We must move on. That's what I heard. It didn't always do that effectively. Like I said, that was kind of a clumsy TED talk at the end. It it just went on way too long, and he was addressing. Er- they needed better actors to to make that happen. Mm-hmm. A lot because that whoever that senator was or that guy yeah. was, you've never. It's yeah. not his fault, but all of a sudden they're just. It was just. It was contrived, and mm-hmm. there's so much about this whole franchise that is not contrived. 
but I still I defy you to tell me that they are just now going to make Captain America a wokester. Yeah, I, I think don't they want to run away from that as I, fast as possible. I think they sent a clear signal with that. Actually, I, I to me, I, I thought it was a very M, um, uh, MLK approach. Where you listen, where if you read and, and look at his speeches, he he is demanding that Black America be given access to the promises of the American experiment, the American Revolution that they had been denied. Like they he, they don't want to they don't want to desecrate. If you read if you read the stuff that that MLK wrote and said, it is not a desecration of America's claims. It's a demand for access to them. That that we bled and he says this in the in the show. We bled for this country. We fought for this country. We made this country too. We get we get we get to wear its symbols as well. We get to represent it as well. The idea of just a constant denigration of those symbols. Like there's never any repentance or healing or we can't ever move on, as you said. Um, he actually is making, the Falcon may, chooses more of a Martin Luther King Jr. approach, which is, no, my ancestors bled for this too. My ancestors fought and I, I fought. Remember, we forget, where does Captain America first meet Sam? He's, in the mall, the uh, National Mall. National running. Mall, and then he meets him at, he's overseeing a veterans therapy, yeah, yeah. a self-help group, basically. All right, so um, I, I thought that was fascinating. So uh, this is also intriguing. This is an email from Chad Smith. He says, every character in this series seemed to be a caricature of someone in our political system. Falcon seems like the average American. He starts out thinking everything is good, does not deserve the shield. It should only be for some a human being better than him. And then realizes the answer has to be us or people like regular people that then rise to the occasion of what they're called to be. The Winter Soldier, um, there's, there's some classic notions of white guilt there. Um, uh, and, and so eventually he's got to go about uh, getting over his guilt and do the work that he was actually assigned to do. The Flag Smashers, he points out again, they seem like essentially a hybrid of a BLM Antifa kind of a group. Um, I think, I, I like his approach that he's taking with this email. Do you think they did this on purpose? Or did they arrive here? He says about Walker, U.S. soldier. He says he kind of took him as the average Trump voter who kind of feels betrayed by the system and is is kind of operating outside of the system to infiltrate or to oppose it or to impact it from the outside in now right well and that average trump he um uh, the who is a u.s agent now u.s agent he yeah. clearly has some version of post-traumatic stress mm -hmm. which is you just got done talking about this thing yesterday describing the you know the trump voter just their their fed upness with no oh, that was today with what 20 30 years of being lied to all of the time you know yeah i i think they're trying like i said i think they tried in one little series to do everything they can to say you know i see your point i see your point i see your point yep. we must move on mm -hmm. none of these places are permanent destinations we are going to kill each other that's why anthony mackie just basically says i can't i can't stay parked here and he respects mm -hmm. his friend steve rogers so much who by the way is if you really wanted to white privilege the guy it, this guy's born in you know the early vestiges of progressivism that's mm -hmm. when he actually came up all right 
uh, and yet he ref- they refused in any way to tarnish the legacy of this of Captain Rogers. That tells you that's the thing worth fighting for. They didn't tarnish the shield. They refused to. That gives me great hope. I think what, what they're, it appears to me the approach they're going to take is representation over ideology. And what I mean by that is um, there will be purposeful placement of demographics that the spirit of the age holds in high regard, um, particularly of an LGBTQ variety. I wouldn't be shocked if you saw, now we haven't seen them in the first two films, or the first two movies, I keep saying films, shows they've come mm-hmm. out with. But I would venture to guess, particularly when it comes to Hollywood, that from this time forward, and I don't think Black Widow counts because it's not typically phase four, but from this time forward, I'll bet you they won't ever do another major film release that doesn't have somebody representative of that group as a character somewhere in the film. Yeah, probably. And I think that's what they're going, that's, to me, I think that's the offering they're going to give the spirit of the age. Representation recognition. But you can see now they've done two shows, multi-episode arcs, episodic television. And in the first show, a woman's grief at being denied motherhood and marriage turned her into essentially a terrorist. And in the second show, a guy is is offered the temptation of joining BLM Antifa, uh, is offered, is counseled by his elders who grew up in a different era and a different time in America to not look at the progress that's been made, but keep holding those previous grievances over America's head or step into the future and move on and say, I represent, I get to wear that stuff now. And he chooses, they've had two cracks at this now. I know. And they've, they've, they've not, they've not taken a bite of the apple either time, guys. They've looked at the shiny fruit and said, that's really not for us. So I think the, to me, it appears, and and we saw that teased in Endgame, which came out two years ago this week with the self-help group at the beginning, right? And the gay guy is thrown in there. So it, it looks to me like representation is going to be how the MCU is going to move further into its promised more, um, more uh, uh, spirit of the agey future, more so than narrative, that the storytelling is not necessarily going to. And I'll, I'll take the hope where I can get it because I was totally prepared to have to torpedo on this because I have on Star Wars. I'm well, we done. all were. We all were. I'm and we all said this time like, two years ago, if this is where it ends, it, could there be a more satisfying ending than Endgame was, right? right? That if they go down the road of critical race theory, the MCU version, we've always got this. Right. We'll, we'll just keep reliving these moments. Well, they've had two cracks at doing this, and they've rejected it both times. I think maybe we should take that as a, as a trend, and it'll be representation over ideology. We shall see. That'll do it for today. We are back at it again tomorrow. Noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV. And until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.